Well, we all know we've come to the beginning of another year. That's, that's why we're here today. 2020 once seemed so far away, didn't it? Right? And now here we are, the beginning of 2020. Eternity seems a long way away. But soon, we will find ourselves in eternity. When Dr. Mahade was first Prime Minister, he had this goal uh, for our country's development called Vision 2020. Um, I, if I remember correctly, I was a student at the time. We used to discuss and debate this in school. Some of you remember that, right? Yeah. I, the Apostle Paul in this epistle, Apostle Paul? No, Apostle Peter. Okay? <laughs> Mustn't get mixed up, huh? Okay? The Apostle Peter in this epistle is actually also got a vision, a much bigger vision for the future. Uh, at the end of chapter 3, he's going to talk about uh, how Jesus will certainly return. Uh, that the world uh, that, we, that, that, that we know uh, will be destroyed. But he will bring in the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's where he's going to go in this, in this letter. But here at the beginning of the letter, he urges his readers and the Holy Spirit urges us to make sure that we will be there, to make our calling and election sure, as we will see in a few words. In other words, he, he wants us to make it very certain that we will keep trusting in Jesus to the end so that we will be part of that new creation uh, and not of the world that will be destroyed. And so to help us, he gives us this blueprint of the Christian life. It's a description of what the Christian life is, is about and, and how to live it. it. It's a plan for our spiritual growth. And if we can follow that plan, then we will be assured of our calling. Now, it's important that we look at the Bible's blueprint for the Christian life because Actually, there are many other blueprints and plans out there. Different people will tell you different things uh, about what is God's will for your life. Some are just misleading. Right? They'll lead you to waste your energy and time on things that are actually not really worth pursuing. But worse, some are plain wrong and will actually take you on a path away from Christ instead of taking you to growth in Him. That was the danger that Peter was worried about. Uh, that's why he wrote this letter. In chapter 2, he's going to attack the false teachers who promote this wrong way. But before he does that, he's going to show us this real thing, the genuine plan. And as we make our plans for 2020, we should make them in light of this one. Now, it's very important to note that the Christian life doesn't start with what we do, but with what God has done. The foundation is grace. Uh, and so you see the first point on the outline, the basis for Christian growth is what we've already been given. Uh, and Peter starts off uh, this letter by reminding us of four things that we've already been given. The first thing we've been given is a precious faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, look at verse 1. He says he's writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, and our translation's got it, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, that can be translated that way. Or another way of translating, which I prefer, is to say we have received a faith in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that faith is of equal standing, he says, with that of the apostles themselves. Because we trust, we rely, we depend on the righteousness of Jesus, his perfect goodness, and exactly the same as them. So what Peter's saying is that God gave us this gift of believing in Jesus, believing that he is righteous, 
and that our only hope to be right with God is to depend on His righteousness rather than our own. Because you and I are sinful, we've rebelled against God, we're not by nature righteous, we can't approach God based on our own goodness, but God gave us the gift of faith so we can trust Jesus and His death on the cross to make us right with God. We depend on the righteousness of Jesus, not our own. Peter had said in his previous letter that Christ died for sin once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. That perfect life of Jesus offered in sacrifice on the cross, that is what we put our faith in. And this Jesus who died for us, this Jesus whose righteousness we trust, is at the end of verse 1, our God and Saviour. Right? There's a cult called Jehovah's Witnesses who deny that Jesus is God. You've probably heard of them. But if he is to be saviour, he must be God. Only God is of infinite worth who can die for the sins of all of us, not just one of us. Only God could substitute himself on the cross to take the punishment for us. And any other substitute, it would be a, a third party. It wouldn't be right. God the Father has given us faith in Christ and his righteousness. Faith in Christ as our saviour and our God. That is the starting point for Christian life and growth. Now, the second thing we see we've been given is knowledge of God and his Son. Uh, in verse 2, Peter prays that grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The assumption is that if we have been given that faith in the previous verse, then we have the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he prays that we have lots of grace and peace coming from that. Knowing God is not just knowing facts about God. Right? I know facts about Vladimir Putin, but I can't say I know him. Yet knowing facts is part of knowing, isn't it? Right? Even if I was Vladimir Putin's little brother, I wouldn't know him if I didn't know any facts about him. But knowing doesn't end there. Knowing God means relating to him personally on the basis of the facts that we know about him. It means listening to what he says in his word, believing him, responding in faith. It means realizing who I am in relation to him. I in myself am sinful and lost, facing his judgment, and yet because of his character, profoundly loved by him. It means appreciating that I'm now saved through his mercy and forgiveness. It means deeply trusting him for that mercy and forgiveness through Jesus. It means taking Jesus' death personally, believing that he died there for my sin so that I can be forgiven. It means surrendering to him as the God of my life. It means submitting to him, delighting in him, loving him as my father, joining with the son in that eternal relationship of love. And all of us who know Jesus know God. We have been given knowledge of God. And through knowing God, we have been given, the third point, everything we need for a godly life. Right? Have a look at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Now that's pretty amazing too, isn't it? God's power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through knowing Jesus. 
Let me ask you a trick question, right? If you want to live a life that pleases God, what else do you need apart from what God has already given you in Jesus? The answer? Nothing. Right? He's given us what we need. Right, sometimes people think, oh, we need to have a particular special gift or experience. Or if you've received a gift or experience, praise the Lord, don't want to belittle that. But don't go around telling people in such a way that their experience of God is incomplete. If you haven't had something like that, don't worry. If you're trusting in Jesus, you are not deficient in any way. Don't think it because you've got this particular gift or that particular experience or whatever it is, you can't be as spiritual as the other people who have it or you can't be as power, empowered for ministry or, or whatever. You can't be as holy or, or whatever. No, no, no. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Christ, in His gospel, God has given us forgiveness of sins. He has given us eternal life. We don't need to worry about death. The gospel motivates us to love Him and obey Him who first loved and gave His Son to die for us. He, he's given us His word so that we can know how He wants us to live, showing us how to apply the gospel in our lives. He has given us His Spirit who not only brings His word to our hearts but helps us to live godly lives. He's given us His people to be together uh, as His people, as one, helping, encouraging each other before Him. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And fourthly, in verse 4, God has given us His very precious and great promises. You remember, God has promised us eternal life through faith in Jesus. He has promised us a home in heaven with eternal glory, where we will see Him, we will worship Him, we will serve Him, we will enjoy Him, and the fullness of His immediate presence forever, where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And God made these great promises, verse 4 continues, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Just imagine you had curry chicken for Christmas lunch. All right, You have curry chicken, nice curry chicken for Christmas lunch, and you leave it outside. You leave it outside on the kitchen table until New Year's Day today. Right? Now, what was so nice on Christmas Day, don't try and eat today, lah, huh? okay? It is off, it is rotting, it is corrupt. It needs to be thrown away. Okay? And the corrupt world, as we know it, is like that because of sin. And it's going to be destroyed. And yet, because of God's promises, we will escape the corruption, participate in the divine nature. God will fulfill His promises he will rescue us from the decay that so characterizes our world because of sin and make him like himself in his character, loving and pure, if we are trusting his great and precious promises that he's given us in Jesus. So, God has given us precious faith. God has given us knowledge of himself and his son. God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. God has given us his great and precious promises. And the source of all that, in verse 3, is, well, it's God's own glory. He has called us to, or by, His own glory, his, the magnificence of His being, and His own excellence, His absolute perfection. In other words, all this we have received, not because of us, 
but because of his wonderful character of holy love. It's because of him, not us. So, now Peter's shown us all that God has given us. Now he's going to show us what do we need to work on. And that's point two in the outline on the next page, the process of Christian growth. Now, as we look at these things, it may become clear to some of us that some of these things are the things that the Holy Spirit particularly wants us to work on in 2020. Right? There'll be different ones for different people. Uh, so listen to God's word. And see what the Spirit is saying to you in this passage. Sometimes people think that since we've been given all those things that we just talked about a few moments ago, then we don't have to put any work into the Christian life. It all happens automatically. Just flow along. Lah. Trust God's promises and just flow. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's wrong. Okay? The fact that we've been given all those things that we've seen in verses 1 to 4 actually should lead us to work. Verse 5 begins, For this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort. This is not passive. This is active. Make every effort to work on your spiritual growth. That's what he's telling us. But make sure you do it for the right reason now. For this reason, he says. It's got to be firmly based on the promises that God's given us in Christ. It's motivated on, based on those things we talked about just now. Right? Our efforts in Christian growth is in response to the grace that God has given us in Jesus. But based on that grace, we are to make every effort. And what does it look like? Well, remember, we saw in verse 1 that, that God has given us the righteousness of Christ. And so Peter urges us to work hard to supplement that faith with all these other things that are going to follow. And the first of them is in verse 5. It's called virtue. Moral excellence. And we all know that being moral is not going to put us right with God. It's not going to contribute to our salvation. But having been saved, we are told to pursue it. We are to be upright, virtuous people. We mustn't murder, mustn't commit adultery, mustn't steal, mustn't take revenge, mustn't lie, mustn't be greedy, must keep our word, must help the needy, must pay our taxes, mustn't give or take bribes, mustn't cheat in assignments and exams. All those things, they're not really profound, are they? They're pretty basic things. Uh, In fact, every decent person should aim for them. What more believers who are going to escape the corruption of this world? We must be morally excellent and we must pursue moral excellence in our lives. So we have faith, we have virtue, and Peter says at the end of verse 5, to that add knowledge. In other words, he wants us to keep growing in our knowledge. We are to keep growing to know God more and more and to know more and more about God. Right? We must make sure we keep on growing our Christian brain. Right? Read your Bible. Read good Christian books. Go to seminars. Go to Bible study. Go for church camp. Tuesday night training. Whatever it is. You finish all the subjects in Tuesday night training, go and talk to Tim. But what's the next stage? Right? Peter says, make every effort 
to grow in knowledge. But don't just leave it at knowledge. Peter says in verse 6, add to this self-control. That means gaining inner strength to have power over our own bodies. Under God's rulership, God rules us by His Spirit through His Word. We need to be masters of our own bodies. We need to be in charge of how we express our pleasures, our desires, our feelings. We mustn't let them take control over us. Uh, self-control also means keeping our appetites in check, right? expressing them in the appropriate context only. Now, this is especially true in the sexual area, where the appropriate context for sex is in marriage. So we mustn't have sex outside of marriage. We must be aware of the traps of pornography and lust. But it also applies in other areas as well. It applies in our drinking. We mustn't get drunk. Exercise self-control. It applies in our eating. We should be self-controlled and avoid gluttony. It applies how we act when we feel really good. What do we do with all the excitement and enthusiasm? It applies how we act when we don't feel so good. How we handle disappointment or anger or depression. We must always act in love towards others, even when whatever, even when we're so excited or so angry or so down, whatever it is going on there. Self-control is hard, but got to keep working at it. And to that, Peter says in verse six, steadfastness. Steadfastness means endurance. It means sticking to something in difficult circumstances, like a long-distance marathon runner. Keep on going, keep on going, keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. There'll be times when we're tempted to give up pursuing these things. Ah, yeah. Leave it, lah. There'll be times when we're tempted to give up our walk with God. There'll be times when Well, some of us might be even tempted to give up on life itself. There'll be times of trouble and hardship when it's easier not to be a Christian. There'll be times when things are going so well that you forget you need God. There'll be times when it feels like God has abandoned you. And there will be times when God's people let you down. In times like that, Remember Jesus. Remember what he did for you on the cross. Remember that he really did rise again. This is real. Remember that he's coming again to bring you to him with glory. Where no trouble can ever touch you again. Don't don't lose sight of that. Don't surrender your place in heaven for anything. Never, 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 never give up. Self-control and steadfastness. And to steadfastness, in verse 6, godliness. The word translated godliness here means piety or reverence. Uh, It was used in the ancient Greek culture to describe a a pious person, someone who's always careful to do the right thing by God and the right thing for others. It's a kind of reverence that means having a very practical awareness of God in our daily lives, an attitude of deep respect before Him. It's recognizing moment by moment that we live our life in front of Him. He's he's there. 
Uh, and everything we do, nothing escapes him. And so he is our God, and we are careful to live every day, every hour, in front of him, reflecting uh, that, 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 that we are worshipping him in what we live. Right? To perseverance, steadfastness, godliness. And to godliness, in verse 7, brotherly affection. That is, having brothers and sisters in Christ whom you, you treat like family. Because right? that's what we are, a God's family. Uh, to look out for and support each other, bearing each other's burdens just as family. And again, it doesn't come automatically. Maybe you need to work on building relationships in the church. Maybe it's time to join a growth group. Actually, get to know other people so you can have these kind of family kind of relationships rather than just being people who come in and then go out and we don't really get to know each other and really build those bonds of affection. We need to be working on that. But even that doesn't go far enough. At the height of this list, the climax of this catalogue of virtues is, at the end of verse 7, Love. And not just family kind of love, but love in the kind of way that God loved us in Jesus. Jesus said, no greater love is anyone than this, that, a, that they, someone should lay down their life for their friends. And that's what Jesus did for us, isn't it? He sacrificially served us to the very end. And we should should lay down our lives for each other. And if we're willing to do that, then nothing else seems so hard after that. We need to love each other in a costly, self-sacrificial way, in the way that God has done for us. Now that's a, that's a pretty big ask, isn't it? In fact, when you think about it, this whole list is a pretty big ask. God knows it's not going to happen overnight. It's not like 2020, January 1st, okay, one, two, three, bang, 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 New Year's resolution, okay, from here on, I'm kind of like, no, 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 it's not like that. This is a blueprint for a lifetime of growth. Verse 8, Peter says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, increasing. You see, all these qualities actually belong to us, right? If we belong to Christ, then we have all these qualities in some measure. What Peter wants is for us to be growing in them. Wherever we are, however much or wherever we are in, in, in our growth, what he wants is to see, yeah, they are there, but they need to be increasing. They need to be growing. And the important thing is that we are moving. Right? Never, ever, ever, ever think that you've made it. Right? Don't think that. You've got to ask yourself, am I growing? Am I growing? You can compare yourself now to where you were this time last year, 1st of January 2019. Maybe too close, hard to see. Give it five years, 2015. What's happened in these last five years? Have I grown in faith and virtue and knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, Brotherly affection 
and love. The question is not just, am I spending more time in church? Or am I more regular at Bible study and giving? Am I better equipped to evangelize? All those things are important. But they're not the KPIs here. They are a means to an end. The goal is holiness. Am I growing in virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love? Or am I just stagnating? Or worse, am I going backwards? And that's something we need to ask ourselves as a church as well, isn't it? Are we as a church going forward in all these things? It's God changing us. Have we developed in all these areas since 2015? Because actually we all need to keep growing. Whether you're a new Christian or you're a veteran believer or you're a full-time worker, it doesn't matter. We need to grow. Now at the back of the outline, there's a little box there uh, with some questions for us to prayerfully consider. It may be helpful for us. Uh, later on, I'll just give us a couple of moments to think about this uh, and maybe it's something you can take home uh, and in your own quiet time, uh, you can look at the passage again, uh, look at those, ver- those, uh, those, uh, those um, uh, things that we need to work on again and have a look and see uh, uh, what, what you need to prayerfully consider from here, right? Uh, if you're someone who really wants to grow, you find yourself stagnating, well, actually, start of the year is a good time as any la to start putting the effort in again. Yeah? Sometimes we just forget to put the effort. Uh, God's power has actually given you everything you need in order to do this. You already got the power. God has given you faith in Christ. He's given you knowledge of God. He's given you His precious promises in the gospel. Uh, that's all you need. But if you want some help to figure out what to do next, then go and talk to someone on the pastoral team. Go and talk to one of your other leaders, your growth group leaders, or go and talk to one of the other brothers and sisters here that you trust uh, and say, hey, if you're not thinking about these things, um, we need to grow. Uh, make every effort. Uh, and we can all help each other to be doing that. Now, what's, why do we need to grow? What's the result? What's the good things about growing? Well, uh, point three of the outline uh, uh, helps us to see the results of Christian growth. There are three results that Peter mentions here. Right, the first one is that we will be spiritually productive. Look at verse 8. He says, If these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? They keep you from being unproductive, right? We all want to be fruitful Christians, don't we? After all that Jesus has done for us, we want to please Him. We want to be effective in His service. We want to be fruitful in 2020. If we're going to be useful to Him, we need to keep growing in all these things, right? Ongoing growth will make us spiritually productive. It is as we are moving, as we are growing, then we can serve and be productive. Secondly, we will show that we are grateful for what God has done for us. Verse 9 says, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Because remember, the God who loves us so much, who sacrificed so much for us, who gave us so much out of his own generosity, what this God wants from us is that we pursue these things. And if we don't pursue them, then, well, it's just showing incredible ungratefulness for all he's done for us. Right? We're being short-sighted. We're just looking at the things of this world, the things that are right in front of our eyes, not really looking at the things that, that actually matter. 
Uh, if we don't grow as Christians, if we don't make the effort to grow, then actually it's because we're deliberately forgetting what God has done for us. But if we're growing then we're, and we're making the effort to do that, then, then we are showing how grateful we are for what God has done for us in His Son. So let's do that. And the final result of Christian growth is that we can be sure we are part of His kingdom. Verse 10 and 11, it says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Our calling is when God called us by the gospel uh, to be His children. Our election is when God chose us before the foundation of the world uh, to belong to Him. Now, how do we know if we are truly called and truly elect? Well, we can be completely sure if we keep on trusting in Jesus all the way to the end and we're belonging to Him at the end. And Peter says, if we do these things, we will make that calling and election sure. That is, we'll keep on pressing on. If we keep on pressing on to be growing in these areas, means we will keep on be pressing on in Christ. Right? If we keep on pressing on to know God better, to exercise self-control, to be reverent, to be persevering and steadfast, to be kind, to be loving, and we're motivated in all that because of what God has done for us in Jesus, for he, because of all His promises, and we're continuing to, to believe the gospel, well, what's happening is we're letting the gospel shape our life. We're letting the gospel shape our agenda for living. Making the gospel shape what we pursue in life. People don't fall away while they're actively seeking to grow in Christ. Peter says in verse 10, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. In other words, it's, it's actually when other things get in the way, when other goals come, where ungodly relationships take priority, when worldly ambitions consume us, when our focus goes to other things, ah, then we are in danger because we are short-sighted. We're looking at the world and its attractions, even though they don't last. And we're blind to the, the heavenly riches that last forever. And we lose our focus. That's when we're in danger of dropping out. And if we drop out, we won't be in the kingdom. So please don't let that be you. Instead, make every effort to grow in these qualities. Keep on trusting the gospel and letting that shape your life and pursue these things. For in this way, verse 11, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, right, where we will be with him and he will be with us forever. Well, today we've talked about a blueprint for 2020, but actually it's the Bible's blueprint for the whole Christian life, isn't it? And this is something so important that verse 12, Peter wants to remind his readers about it, uh, even though they actually already know he says in verse 13, as long as he's alive, he'll keep reminding them. He knows in verse 14, he's going to die soon. And so in verse 15, he says he's going to make every effort so that after, they've, after he's gone, they'll be a reminder. And that's why he's writing this letter. And today we thank God that through Peter and this letter, the Holy Spirit's still reminding us. Still reminding us. It's very important to keep on coming back to this blueprint. Even though we've heard it before. Uh, in whichever epistle you read, it comes back to this, maybe put in different ways and different ways of writing it, but in the end, the bottom line is the same thing. God and the Bible keeps on reminding us because we so easily forget. Whatever else is happening in our lives, some of those things might be huge things. Actually, this is the main thing. This is the goal. This is the race. This is the main game for 2020 whoever you are. All the other things that happen, all the other challenges and all the other changes of 2020, they are the arena 
the arena, the, the context in which this main game is played. But this, this is the big thing. We start with God's grace and all that He's given us in Christ. We pursue Christian growth, make every effort to develop the qualities of Christ-like character that we've read about here, empowered and motivated by God's promises in the gospel. And as we do so, we persevere in trusting Christ to the end and enter into his glory. That is God's blueprint for Christian living. That is the pathway we are to walk. May that be the path that each of us takes in 2020 and indeed in all of our earthly lives. Let's bow our heads for a moment. And let's take a few moments to consider what God has been showing us here from his word. Maybe there are things that you need to talk with God about. Maybe there are things that you need to uh, look at the um, box at the back of the outline and, and think about. We'll just give us a, f- a few moments to begin thinking and praying about these things. Father, we thank you that you have given us faith in the righteousness of your Son, knowledge of yourself, everything we need for life and godliness, and your precious and great promises. And we thank you that all that is from your glory and excellence, and not from us. And we thank you for reminding us today to make every effort to grow in Christ in 2020. May we be people who see consistent improvements this year in our virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, brotherly affection, and love. And may we be a people together who grow in these areas. Please help us by your spirit, we pray. Keep us growing in each of these things that we might be productive for you. Show our gratefulness to you for your grace and make our own calling and election sure. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.